Book Two, Chapters Thirty One through Thirty Five of Against Jovinianus by Saint Jerome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As regards your attempt to show that railings and murder, the use of the expression raca and adultery, the idle word and godlessness are rewarded with the same punishment, I have already given you my reply, and I will now briefly repeat it. You must either deny that you are a sinner, if you are not to be in danger of Gehenna, or if you are a sinner, you will be sent to hell for even a slight offense. The mouth that lieth, says one, kills the soul. I suspect that you, like other men, have occasionally told a lie, for all men are liars, that God alone may be true, and that he may be justified in his words, and may prevail when he judges. It follows either that you will not be a man lest you be found a liar, or if you are a man and consequently a liar, you will be punished with parricides and adulterers. For you admit no difference between sins, and the gratitude of those whom you raise from the mire and set on high will not equal the rage against you of those whom, for the trifling offenses of daily life, you have thrust into utter darkness. And if it be so that in the persecution one is stifled, another beheaded, another flees, or the fourth dies within the walls of a prison, and one crown of victory awaits various kinds of struggle, the fact tells in our favor. For in martyrdom it is the will which gives occasion to the death that is crowned. My duty is to resist the frenzy of the heathen and not deny the Lord. It rests with them either to behead or to burn, or to shut up in prison, or enforce various other penalties. But if I escape and die in solitude, there will not at my death be the same crown for me as for them, because the confession of Christ will not have been to me as to them the cause of death. As for your remark that absolutely no difference was made between the brother who had always been with his father and him who was afterwards welcomed as a penitent, I am willing to add, if you like, that the one drachma which was lost and was found was put with the others, and that the one sheep which the good shepherd, leaving the ninety-nine, sought and brought back, made up the full tale of the hundred. But it is one thing to be a penitent, and with tears sue for pardon, another to be always with the father. And so both the shepherd and the father say by the mouth of Ezekiel to the sheep that was carried back, and to the son that was lost, and I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth evermore, because of thy shame. When I have forgiven thee all that thou hast done, that penitents may have their due, it is enough for them to feel shame instead of all other punishments. Hence, in another place it is said to them, Then shall ye remember your evil ways, and all the crimes wherewith ye were defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the wickedness that ye have done. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall have done you good for my name's sake, and not according to your evil ways, nor according to your evil doings. The son, moreover, was reproved by his father for envying his brother's deliverance, and for being tormented 
by jealousy while the angels in heaven were rejoicing the parallel however is not to be drawn between the merits of the two sons one of whom was temperate the other a prodigal and those of the whole human race but the characters depicted are either jews and christians or saints and penitents in the lifetime of bishop damascus i dedicated to him a small treatise upon this parable and if a penny was given to all the laborers those of the first the third the sixth the ninth and the eleventh hours and they came first for the reward who were the last to work in the vineyard even here the persons described do not belong to one time or one age but from the beginning of the world to the end of it there are different calls and a special meaning attaches to each abel and seth were called at the first hour enoch and noah at the third abraham isaac and jacob at the sixth moses and the prophets at the ninth at the eleventh the gentiles to whom the recompense was first given because they believed on the crucified lord and inasmuch as it was hard for them to believe they earned a great reward many kings and prophets have desired to see the things that we see and have not seen them but the one penny does not represent one reward but one life and one deliverance from gehenna and as by the favor of the sovereign those guilty of various crimes are released from prison and each one according to his toil and exhortations is in this or that condition of life so too the penny as it were by the favor of our sovereign is the discharge from prison of all by baptism now our work is according to our different virtues to prepare for ourselves a different future so far i have replied to the separate portions of his argument i shall now address myself to the general question our lord says to his disciples whosoever would become great among you let him be least of all if we are all to be equal in heaven in vain do we humble ourselves here that we may be greater there of the two debtors who owed one five hundred pence the other fifty he to whom most was forgiven loved most and so the saviour says i say to you her sins which are many are forgiven her for she had loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little he who loves little has little forgiven he will of course be of inferior rank the householder when he set out delivered to his servants his goods to one five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability just as in another gospel it is written that a noble man set out for a far country to receive for himself a kingdom in return called the servants and gave them each a sum of money with which one gained ten pounds another five and they each according to his ability and the gain he had made received ten or five cities but one who had received a talent or a pound buried it in the ground or tied it up in a napkin and kept it until his master's return our first thought is that if according to the modern zeno the righteous do not toil in hope of reward but to avoid the loss of what they already have he who buried his pound or talent that he might not lose it did no wrong and the caution of him who kept his money is worthy of more praise than the fruitless toil of those who wore themselves out and yet received no reward for their labor then observe that the very talent 
which was taken from the timid or negligent servant, was not given to him who had the smaller profit, but to him who had gained the most, that is, to him who had been placed over ten cities. If difference of rank is not constituted by the difference in number, why did our Lord say, He gave to everyone according to his ability? If the gain of five talents and ten talents is the same, why were not ten cities given to him who gained the least, and five to him who gained the most? But that our Lord is not satisfied with what we have, but always desires more, he himself shows by saying, Wherefore didst thou not give my money to the money changers, that so when I came I might have received it with usury? The Apostle Paul understood this, and forgetting those things which were behind, reached forward to those things which were in front. That is, he made daily progress, and did not keep the grace given to him carefully wrapped up in a napkin. But his spirit, like the capital of a keen man of business, was renewed from day to day, and if he was not always growing larger, he thought himself growing less. Six cities of refuge are mentioned in the law, provided for fugitives who were involuntary homicides, and the cities themselves belong to the priests. I should like to ask whether you would put those fugitives among your goats or among our sheep. If they were goats, they would be slain like other homicides, and would not enter the cities of God's ministers. If you say they were sheep, they will not possibly be such sheep as can enjoy full liberty and feed without fear of wolves. And it will be plain to you that sheep indeed they are, but wandering sheep, that they are on the right hand, but they do not stand there. They flee until the high priest dies and descending into hell liberates their souls. The Gibeonites met the children of Israel and... Although other nations were slaughtered, they were kept for hewers of wood and drawers of water, and of such value were they in God's eyes that the family of Saul was destroyed for the wrong done to them. Where would you put them? Among the goats? But they were not slain, and they were avenged by the determination of God. Among the sheep? But Holy Scripture says they were not of the same merit as the Israelites. You see then that they do indeed stand on the right hand, but are of a far inferior grade. Jonathan came between David the holy man and Saul, the worst of kings, and we can neither place him among the kids because he was worthy of a prophet's love, nor amongst the rams, lest we make him equal to David, and particularly when we know that he was slain. He will therefore be among the sheep, but low down. And just as in the case of David and Jonathan, you will be bound to recognize differences between sheep and sheep. That servant which knew his Lord's will and made not ready, nor did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. And to whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required." and to whom they commit much, of him will they ask the more. Lo, more or less is committed to different servants, and according to the nature of the trust, as well as of the sin, is the number of stripes inflicted. The whole account of the land of Judah and of the tribes is typical of the church in heaven. Let us read Joshua the son of Nun, 
or the concluding portions of Ezekiel, and we shall see that the historical division of the land is related by the one finds a counterpart in the spiritual and heavenly promises of the other. What is the meaning of the seven and eight steps in the description of the temple? Or again, what significance attaches to the fact that in the Psalter, after being taught the mystic alphabet by the 118th Psalm, we arrive by 15 steps at the point where we can sing, Behold, now bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, ye who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Why did two tribes and a half dwell on the other side of Jordan, a district abounding in cattle, while the remaining nine tribes and a half either drove out the old inhabitants from their possessions or dwelt with them? Why did the tribe of Levi receive no portion in the land, but have the Lord for their portion? And how is it that of the priests and Levites themselves, the high priest alone entered the Holy of Holies, where were the cherubim and the mercy seats? Why did the other priests wear linen raiment only, and not have their clothing of wrought gold, blue, scarlet, purple, and fine cloth? The priests and the Levites of the lower order took care of the oxen and wains. Those of the higher order carried the ark of the Lord on their shoulders. If you do away with the gradations of the tabernacle, the temple, the church, if, to use a common military phrase, all upon the right hand are to be up to the same standard, bishops are to no purpose, priests in vain, deacons useless, why do virgins persevere, widows toil? Why do married women practice continence? Let us all sin, and when once we have repented, we shall be on the same footing as the apostles. But now we have just sighted land. The foaming billows have been rolling mountain high. Our ship has been borne aloft, or has been rushed headlong into the depths beneath. Little by little the havens open to the view of the weary and exhausted sailors. We have discussed the married, widows, and virgins. We have preferred virginity to widowhood, widowhood to marriage. The passage of the apostles in which he treats questions of this kind has been expounded, and particular objections have been met. We also took a survey of secular literature and inquired what was thought of virgins, and what of those who had one husband. And by way of contrast, we pointed out the cares which sometimes attend wedlock. Then we passed to the second division, in which our opponent denies the possibility of sinning to those who have been baptized with complete faith. And we showed that God alone is faultless, and every creature is at fault, not because all have sinned, but because all may sin, and those who stand have cause to fear when they see the fall of men like themselves. In the third place we came to fasting, and is so much as our opponent's argument fell under two heads and he appealed either to philosophy or to Holy Scripture, we also furnished a several reply. In the fourth, that is, in the last section, the sheep and goats on the right hand and on the left, the righteous and the wicked, were distributed into two classes, the intention being to show that there is no difference between one just man and another, or between one sinner and another. To prove the point, Jovinianius had accumulated countless instances from Scripture, which apparently favored his view, and this contention re rebutted both by arguments and illustrations from Scripture, and pulverized Zeno's old opinion 
no less with common sense than with the words of inspiration. End of Book 2, Chapters 31 through 35